At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. Is it time for you to move on? Is it time for you to quit your job? Or do you feel you're on borrowed time, that you're not appreciated anymore? Or you got younger people with fresher ideas and more energy than you? So again, this is the program. You know, we all move on, even even myself and the Rich Dad Company. We got younger people taking over, and I'm kind of the old guy hanging around the place. So anyway, we're talking about your job, your future, your career, whatever you want to call it. But the question is, is it time for you to move on? Any comments, Kim? Well, yeah. Another question is, are you afraid that a robot's going to take over your job? Because <laughs> robots are coming on strong right now and technology is coming on strong right now. Yeah, if but, you're an Uber driver, your days are numbered. <laughs> yes. And we have uh, a very, very special guest, two very special guests. And we're going to start with the first guest here who is a- One was, of my favorite people in the whole yes, world. Yes. We, we so more, appreciate more. her. We so ah, appreciate more. her. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, this is Soledad O'Brien. Many hi. of you know of her. And she's an award-winning journalist, documentary news anchor and producer, and she's the CEO of her own company, Starfish Media Group. And she made a major transition from being the being on the air employee at CNN to going and starting her own business. And we're going to talk to her exactly about what she did, what she what fears she faced, what happened, how it all came about. So if you are thinking about maybe it's time to do something different, this is your show. And I want to talk about Soledad O'Brien because during the heyday of Rich Dad Poor Dad, probably around the era two thousand. You know, I was on every TV program, Oprah, Larry King, and all this. And Soledad O'Brien always had a place in my heart because she was the kindest, the nicest, the most interested, the most genuine interviewer of all the interviews. She, she was about really educating her listeners. That's what right. I got. And as, uh, you know, I, I kind of have the same problem my friend Donald Trump has. I'm kind of confrontive. And many times... Open mouth and insert foot. Is that and, what you're talking uh, and about? Many times I would, <laughs> I would get on these programs and I talked to a financial planner who was telling me to save money. I said, that's not what I'm talking about. Or hmm. you get out of debt. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, so... Um, but Solo to Head was extremely gracious, big-hearted, kind. And well, you know, I always like you guys talked about the psychology of money, right? I mean, yes. that to me was the most interesting thing is sort of the the reasons we feel the way we do about money, about saving, about spending. I think that's so interesting right. rather than, hey, you know, do this specific thing with this $20 you've saved. Right. I, I've always thought just kind of the, the thinking around money is really, really intriguing. So, Soledad, I'm just trying to thank you for being the kindest. Well, my <laughs> and you always have, you always have a place in my heart. And, uh, Not everybody thank I've you. interviewed would agree with you on that. No, no, <laughs> thank, no thank you very much. You were generally interested. And, you were also interested in what parents teach their kids about money. 
And the reason that we love talking to you is because both Kim and I, our fathers lost their jobs in mid-career. Yeah, yeah. And that's a huge transition. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because back to that psychology, it really frames not only how you think about money, but how you think about stability in the workplace. Security. How you think about opportunities. And I've known so many people. My parents are both educators, and that – at least used to be the job that you'd, you know, start and then be in it literally till the day you died. Right. Um, unless you opted out. And I think that that's really shifted. There's not that many jobs where there's this built in stability. And I think it makes people really thinking about, think about how they have to rely on themselves. Like, you know, what could, you know, how am, could I be responsible for really making a living on my own versus working for somebody? So, so, why, so, so why did you? Yeah. What, what happened did, with you, Soledad? What caused your transition? Yeah. What was kind of the spur? Because you were you were a big star at CNN. Yeah. You were the big honcho. Yeah, not really. I mean, in my own head, sure. <laughs> well, well, in, in our, head, in our sure. heads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I appreciate that. You know, I had been at CNN for about ten years, and about two years before I left. I started just the paperwork for a production company. And in fact, I sat down with my agent at the time and I said to him, you know, I really want to start my own production company. And I wasn't even sure exactly what that meant, but I did know there's not a lot of like 60-year-old women anchoring, (laughs) number one. And also I was getting a, a good reputation as a producer and I really wanted to leverage that more as opposed to just anchoring shows, which I also love doing. I love interviewing. But I, I was kind of doing a lot of different things. I was giving a lot of speeches. I was um, developing content ideas. If CNN would do them, I could I could then go ahead and produce them. And then I was anchoring shows and sometimes specials and doing town halls. So I had probably like five jobs within my one job. Yep. And then a, a new executive came in, and they shifted a lot. And he was very nice. I'd worked with him. Uh, he runs CNN now. And, and we had worked together at NBC. He'd been my boss at NBC, so we knew each other really well. They wanted to take the morning show a different direction, which is very typical when someone comes in. They want to kind of do what they want to do with the show. And he said, listen, we'd love to have you stay. But I felt that <laughs> it wasn't a, quite a vision for me. It was more like, hey, and if you want to, you know, feel free to stay, which I, you know, my parents had been very, even as much as they were in these very stable jobs, I think they were very clear that you really always want to be with people, work with people, marry people who are who are thrilled that they get to be with you you know and I so that. i felt I it was a little ambivalent now two years earlier i was probably a little ambivalent myself because i had had this production company in name only but two years before we even had this conversation and i had been trying to figure out so how do i start a production company and my agent at the time is like well why would you want to do that i mean you don't need to do that and I just was like, hmm, that's not quite the right answer, but I don't exactly know how to launch it. And I thought it gave me a good opportunity. You know, when you feel like, all right, the, the, the universe is saying to me, it's time to go do something else. Because do you, or, or do you really want to sign up for, you know, being a fill-in occasionally when someone takes a vacation and, you know, doing this over here and that over there, and it's all fine. And, and I really felt like I have a very strong brand. I have a very strong identity. I'm very specific in the kinds of stories I like to tell and in the ways in which I like to do interviews. And so, you know, I have a very specific voice. And so I, I was like, I'm just not at that place where I want to kind of just be perfectly fine. I just think that's a little depressing. Find, find, so find's a good word because I, I see so many people, Soledad, who are at their jobs and they're just going through the motions every day. And that's not you. Yeah, it just seemed a little bit of a bummer to me. So I knew that it was time to 
Uh, and I had saved a ton of money. I mean, listen, as you know, over the years, because we met on the, when I was anchoring the Today Show, uh, Weekend Edition, and then I had gone to CNN. And same thing, when I left the Today Show, people were like, oh, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and, I'd, and I'd made a pretty thoughtful decision, and it really paid off well. And so then when I went to CNN, I, you know, I think I became more successful and really created a reputation. And I, I just felt like, okay. I'm ready to take this and do with it what I want to do. And because I'd interviewed all these financial experts over the years, I was like, I have saved absolutely a ton of cash that is in an account. Because my husband and I, years ago, when we first met, we, we knew we wanted to create what we call the you know, the FU fund, frankly. I, mean, really, <laughs> I love we it. We did. I uh, but you know what? I, yep. I worked in San Francisco, and I worked with a really nice guy. And he, you know, San Francisco for a TV market is a very big TV market. There's San Jose, there's San Francisco itself, and there's the East Bay, Oakland. So that's a massive thing. And I met a guy. I was working with this guy who was based in San Jose. And for years and years and years, he'd been working out of San Jose. And then one day, they decided to move him into San Francisco. It, so that means a two-hour each-way commute, and I was, and, and it was just devastating. He had kids, I mean, it was just crazy. His house was in San Jose, and I remember saying to him, like, well, you know, why would you stay? Why don't you just go do something else? And he's like, I have a mortgage, and I have a mm -hmm. kid in college. Yep. Are you, you kidding go. me? There and at go. that moment, I said to myself, I am going to have an FU fund. When my, <laughs> and my husband's like, yep, because if, if there's ever a point that. where you can say, you know what? This is said with love, but I'm actually not that interested. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Congratulations. And Once again, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. We're talking to all of you out there who know it's time or maybe time for you to move on or make changes in your life. And our special guest today, Soledad O'Brien, like I said to her, I have a love affair with her. She was so kind. Oh, careful, careful. What she was so <laughs> kind. No, she was really was open minded. Like, well, as, as There's you know, something here I don't know. Solidate, you know, a, a lot of times, I mean, it's a tough job being an interviewer because you don't really have time to cover the subject. And a lot of times, my interviews were less than shallow. I mean, they were surface. No, that's not true at all. No, I mean, no, I no, no, no. A lot of times with people, when I was interviewing, uh, with, I was being interviewed. So to, to come on your program was just a refreshing. You know, the onus is on the is on the interviewer. I understand, right? I, I understand. mean, you know, like if if there's ever a bad interview, it's because the interviewer probably didn't do a good job pulling it out. That's really, I mean, that's kind of how I look at my job. Is but I but I helped I helped him out by opening my mouth and inserting <laughs> foot. So anyway, I'm trying to thank you for being a great person. I appreciate Soledad. that. Thank you. So, you're kind. So Soledad, I think you touched right on it when you were talking about your friend who had the mortgage. He had kids, and he was afraid to walk away he from his job. He was stuck. Yes. Listen, I so, get it. I so really you, do. But I knew I didn't want to be stuck. And, right. And I'm not saying that I was going to go and, like, buy a yacht and live, you know, off the coast of, you know, whatever, Amalfi somewhere. I just – I really just knew that I wanted to be able to say thank you so much. I really – I pride myself on leaving every job I ever had, shaking everybody's hand, hugging them and saying thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> so, I have loved being here. So Goodbye. what was your what was your first year? You're Now you're an entrepreneur. You're on your own. You're not getting that steady paycheck. You still have the bills to pay. What was that first year, that first few months you know, like? Well, for a few months before we even opened, I wasn't afraid. I had, I felt one because we, I knew financially I was solvent, right? Okay. So I think I didn't have the fear of like, oh God, will I be able to eat? 
so that was, you know, the, the FU fund paying off. Um, I was definitely overwhelmed because I had no idea how to run a company. All my stuff was in boxes on my dining room table in my apartment. And my husband was like, so this is not going to stay here, right? I mean, <laughs> you're going to get a space, right? But I didn't even understand. Like, I was like, so, I mean, how much space do you need? People would show you a big open loft. And you're like, uh, I, I don't know. Is this big? Is this little? I don't know. Um, you know, especially if it's a raw space. So I started looking for space to put an office in and tried to figure out, okay, how much space am I going to need? What exactly are we going to be doing? Very early on, an investor came in and offered to buy half of my company. And it was actually quite funny because I was very uh, offended and I'm just like, oh my God, can you believe that this person my husband's like, your company has zero value right now. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, it, it made it very clear for me immediately that I really wanted to build something. And I didn't know what it was going to be, but I didn't want to have a partner until I really knew what it was going to be. Why it's a decision. And I want to uh, once again reiterate what we're talking about today. We're talking about, is it time for you to move on? Is it time for you to maybe quit your job or... As Solo Dad says, have an FU fund. I mean, I had the FU. I had no funds. And I bet there's a lot of people out there that are just thinking, you know, going again, just going through the motions every day. They're kind of bored at work, but they're maybe afraid to take that leap. But they also know the knives are sharpening in the background. Any comments, Kim? Well, yes. We've been talking with Solo Dad O'Brien, and, you know, I think she said it so well and that you get to a point where you feel like you're not appreciated as much or you know you're kind of going through the motions, but there's not that challenge or that. That, that fire or you, you know you have more to give but there's not a place to give it so it, maybe it's time to move on and I think a lot of people actually feel that way but they may not have the courage they're too afraid or they have too many bills to pay a mortgage to pay the kids to take care of so they're afraid to make that leap we're talking today about the possibility of, of making that leap if you're one of those people so joining us today with solo is Jenny Blake she is a career and business strategist she's the author of the book pivot the only move that matters is your next one. And our website is pivotmethod.com. One word, pivotmethod.com. So welcome to the program, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And I mentioned before we got started that uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad was one of the most influential books I've ever read and got me started on my entrepreneur journey. My brother, we both read it very early. He went into real estate. I went into writing books. So wonderful right. lead time. <laughs> wonderful. And we also have Soledad O'Brien. Many of you know of Soledad, award-winning journalist, news anchor, producer, and CEO of her own company, who she, she did make the leap to Starfish Media Group. So, Jenny, what is your story? We heard Soledad's about how she just knew it was time to move on. What? What, what, how did you move on? What, what what caused that? How did you go from Google to yeah. what you're doing now? Very similar to Soledad. I had a perfect on paper job. Anybody from the outside would say, I, ha- I had it made. I was working at Google in coaching and career development, launching a global coaching program, managing authors at Google, getting to meet my heroes, three meals a day, yoga. I mean, Jeez. I lived there. I, I actually <laughs> yoga had too. a bike path connecting my front door to my office, wow. like an umbilical wow. cord. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, though, in the back of my mind from reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I always knew that ultimately my best success would lie in not just following my heart, but also building my own thing. And so when I hit a plateau, by the way, I, you know, part of the reason I wrote Pivot is that in the moment, these choices often seem like a crisis. And in our society, we only have two words for it, midlife crisis quarter-life crisis, as if we're allowed two in our lifetime. But for people who 
I call them high net growth individuals, that they do care about money and high net worth, but ultimately high net growth individuals will take a pay cut or quit a lucrative job or bootstrap a business in order to pursue their own growth and ultimately impact. So when I left Google, I gave myself six months. I had six months of pivot runway saved, and I said, it's kind of now or never to give this thing a shot. And here I am five years later, not without almost having to fold my business, but there's not a day that I've regretted that choice because it allows me to build my own resources and intellectual property and ideally make an impact on as many people as I'm able to. That's the most important thing. So what is Pivot about? If you, if somebody's listening right now, why should they read Pivot? Pivot is for all of us to more efficiently and effectively map what's next. I know, Robert, you talk a lot about systems. I recognize that because our economy is changing so quickly, we are all going to be hitting pivot points more frequently than we ever did in the past, especially when it comes to our careers and businesses, and that a pivot is not a crisis nor a personal shortcoming, that if we're all going to be hitting pivot points more frequently, I wanted to reverse engineer and unpack a method, a system for mapping what's next. So for somebody right now... So somebody's sitting there right now saying, you know, I got this bad feeling in my stomach. I think my days are numbered here, or I I just want to move on. So Pivot kind of gives you a guide or a blueprint or an overview? Exactly. It's about a pivot. When we talk about startups pivoting, it's often plan B. The business is about to collapse, and now it needs to pivot to save itself. That's every day. Twitter used to be a podcasting service. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But in our careers, pivot is plan A. And I define a pivot as doubling down on what's working to shift methodically into what's next. So even Soledad's story, it's fun to look back and reverse engineer previous pivots and see how now for you, Soledad, starting your own business is related to everything you've done previously. And it's taking what was working and what you most love and you're best at and, and doubling down on it and so, to move in a new related direction. So Soledad, you look back now and you think, it never occurred to me that I wanted to build something, and now I just love building things. One, building literally a structure, building an office, building a team, and then also building models for how to do journalism in a different way. I mean, it's just so, I mean, it sounds so nerdy, but it's so exciting to sit around and like build financial models around how do you underwrite projects that really matter to you that don't necessarily have people running to underwrite them, but they're very important socially. So I agree. I I think, um, you know, we think of it as a crisis and I actually felt immediately like, phew, now you could actually do the thing that you want to go build. It's so much a better feeling to feel like you're building than you're, than you're stressed and you're, and you're shrinking. So Soledad, when you started, when you made that first transition and you started building your business, what were, what were a couple of the biggest challenges that you faced from the start? Uh, accounting 101 <laughs> I had never taken. And so, you know, I was very lucky because my husband uh, is in business. And so it was really helpful to have somebody who owned 0% of the company but had only his my best interest at heart. So understanding uh, where your income was coming from and understanding where the expenses were going out, that... that Really being able to build a business model. I mean, you know, we knew right away, kind of I could figure out, like, here's what I'm spending, here's what I'm bringing in. But it was more, how do I model? What do I need to be in? What projects do I need to be doing? And in what percentages in order to make sure that this business is successful? Our biggest challenge, which is going to sound so crazy, was we were successful immediately. <laughs> we had so many orders for docs from so many people that I was 
freaking out because we were just way too busy. And I don't know. I mean, is that 10 employees? Is that 20 employees? And how do you how do you lay it out? I mean, the biggest mistake I made was we signed these deals, and instead of building in um, uh, you know a window before we started, they all started immediately. It never occurred to me to say, you know, we're going to do a staggered start, and this one's going to start in six months, and this one's going to start in nine months, because I actually need to go get a space and then build it out. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Terry Radio Show, and today we're talking to all of you in Radio Land who, or Podcast Land who are thinking about putting your job or you know in your gut it's time for you to move on or you know you have something bigger in your life. So our guest today is Soledad O'Brien. She is one of the best journalists I ever came across when I was promoting Rich Dad, Poor Dad. She really got it. And Jenny Blake, who came from Google, and she went off and did her own thing. So our talk, our discussion today, is it time for you to move on? So let me ask both of you. I'll start with Soledad. We talk a lot at the Rich Dad Company about the reason to start a business is because you're solving a problem. So Soledad, what was the problem you saw that needed to be solved that you could address? I thought that there were all these interesting stories to do about big, important social issues like poverty, like discrimination, like racial injustice, and even just race relations in America, uh, about shifting demographics in this country, about why some people eat and some people do not in a really wealthy country, about why some schools have really good opportunities for students and some are flailing in a really wealthy country. And I wanted to dig into those stories and hear from very different voices as opposed to the same old you know, economist who's always pops up in these stories. And so the problem I was trying to solve was how can we tackle these stories in really, you know, thoughtful ways and make them entertaining, not make everybody feel like, all right, now the broccoli, here's a look at, you know, education in America, prepared to be bored out of your mind. But that actually they could be riveting, dramatic. They could make you cry. A lot of the docs that we had done at CNN, black in America, Latino in America, gay in America, Muslim in America, were really just emotional and personal portraits of human beings trying to figure it out. And then undergird that, nas- that, that narrative, that individual narrative, with data points so that people understand kind of what's happening in the bigger picture. Okay. And so I just thought we could be doing that much more often, and we could do it at a very high level. So thank you. And Jenny, what was your problem? What were we looking at solving? What was your dr- – yeah, I would say a spiritual quest some- mm. somehow. Yeah. I adopted the mantra while working on this book, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it that change is a concept as old as time, and yet we still feel such fear and anxiety, especially when it comes to our career and business, because it seems to threaten our most fundamental needs on Maslow's hierarchy. Well, let me ask this quick question. Can I ask Jenny a question? Because this was something that was so interesting to me, and I'm so curious what you write about it, Jenny. The first probably six months that I was a CEO, I I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. Like, people would say, so what do you do? And I was like, Mm. well, I'm running. And I just, you know, I I probably used a thousand words to say I'm the CEO of a production company because I wasn't really feeling it. I mean, we barely, you know, we were this fledgling Mm. company. And I really found that figuring that part out was very helpful to me, you know. Um, But that was a real struggle. Did you see that in all your work that a lot of people had a hard time articulating what they they did next? Absolutely. And and a lot of... um pressure. There's a lot of pressure to articulate it. We, especially in our society, what do you do? Who are you? Tell me about yourself. We're almost expected to talk in sound bites now. 
and not to mention the compare and despair we see on social media. And so the, the key about a pivot and the thing that most people miss is, is really going within and saying, what, what is working? What are my biggest strengths? What does success look like a year from now? And permission not to have to define it. And so mm-hmm. I actually like that for six months, you kind of tried on different hats and gave yourself that permission. And because so much of career and business now is very fluid, that even if we could name it, we would change. We're high net growth. You're absolutely a high net growth individual, meaning we're never going to be static and staying in one place. So whatever label you put on it, there's so much more going on behind the scenes that people can't see. Our guest today is Soledad O'Brien. She's an award-winning journalist, documentarian, and news anchor and producer and CEO of Starfish Media Group. Her website is starfishmediagroup.com. And Jenny Blake, she is a... She had a fantastic career at Google, and she moved on. And she is the author of the book, Pivot. The only move that matters is your next one. And what Jenny is talking about is what a lot of us are realizing today, that the old idea of having a job for life is really an obsolete idea. And the reason for Pivot is just to move quicker, to make a decision quicker and move on to the next choice. And her website, Jenny Blake's website is pivotmethod.com. So, Kim. So, um, both Soledad and, and Jenny said something interesting in terms of when they made this transition from employee to entrepreneur. One of the things they both had, they had a, a savings account, and, and Soledad called it an FU fund, and Jenny called it, a, he, she had a six-month savings plan to make that transition. Are there other ways, because there's so much, so many times I hear there's so much fear about making this change are there other ways, and I'll start with Jenny, to minimize that risk in making this transition? Absolutely, because let's be real, money is a part of a pivot, and financial constraints will inform the scope and scale of a pivot that someone can make and when. So I call the FU fund the, the pivot runway. What is <laughs> pivot, a pivot runway? runway? Okay. And what is your burn rate? If we think of ourselves like a startup, what's your burn rate? You can't spend like the wolf of Wall Street if you're trying to pivot from corporate employee making six figures to entrepreneur, or at least that wouldn't be the smart thing to do. And so one thing is I do recommend at least six months of pivot runway. And what is your bridge income, or I call it a cash flow cow? What's the thing that is going to consistently provide recurring revenue so that you can get this new direction off the ground. Now you're talking because our really language. really, we don't just burn through our savings. You know, it's good to have the savings, but what's the cash flow cow exactly that's going to fund your pivot? And, and that doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. A lot of people put pressure on themselves to have the perfect next solution when the better thing is make a move and adjust from there through small experiments. Ultimately, decisions are data. So while you do want to be financially responsible at some point, you know, it is time. And that's the whole point of the pivot method is doubling down on what's working to shift in the new direction. And I use the analogy of a basketball player. One foot stays planted. Those are your strengths, what's working, what you know, your pivot runway. Then your, your pivot foot can scan for opportunity. So it's so important to be both rooted while we look for people, skills, projects, and ultimately small experiments. Great, great suggestion. Solidad, what's your comments here? Let's 
listen, at the end of the day, I think it was all about really not thinking in terms of, you know, I'm quitting next week and I'm going to go do this, Mm -hmm. but actually having a plan, a really long runway, and in terms of kind of what do you want to do? And so that was part of really the thinking behind the FU fund was, you know, saving for that rainy day that you knew was coming so that when you wanted to go do something, I mean, literally having a production company up and running two years before I had a production company up and running because I knew that I was sort of inching that direction, knowing who you'd want to work with, who would you want to bring, um, not just sort of starting from scratch, but really having a, a, a plan um, so that when you were ready to really jump, you had actually jumped a couple of years beforehand with kind of all the preparation. Uh, I wish that I had uh, taken accounting classes. I think that was the advice that would have been very helpful to me. That was a very steep learning curve. But what I did do was sit down and just have informational interviews with everybody, you know, 30-minute breakfast, lunch, drinks, whatever, hangout time, just picking someone's brain from any company that they ran, a person who ran a, a tiny, you know, fashion company to a person who was literally running a tech company and, you know, bringing in half a billion dollars a year. I just wanted to sort of, you know why? Because it, the essence is all the same. How do you hire people? How do you fire people? How do you structure your company? How do you deal with problems? How do you deal with, you know, growing? All those things are really the same categories, whether you have two employees or you have you know, 4,000 employees. It's funny you say about accounting because when Robert and I first met years, almost 30 years ago now. Um, my first my, gift to Kim was. My very first gift was an accounting class. <laughs> and it was, it was a workshop and it was very in, interactive and it was really fun, but I really did understand accounting from this class. It wasn't a traditional school accounting class, but it was very fun. But I want was... to make sure she knew assets from liabilities. It was you know pretty what I mean? funny. Because the number one thing that kills a marriage is M-O-N-E-Y. Yeah, that's, that is. <laughs> yeah, hey, let, me no, ask, think... let me ask you this because sometimes, you know, people, let's say people get fired, you know, unexpectedly. Um, oh, or, yeah. or they're in a boring job, but they don't have that FU fund or that, that pivot runway um, what about keeping that boring daytime job and, and doing some, starting a part-time business on the weekends? Well, I, I think that's fantastic. And, and again, to take the pressure off of having something be the full-time gig right away, but even one hour a week or 15 minutes a day can build so much progress. And what Soledad said, which is so important, is even if it can't happen today, define what success looks like a year from now. And you may not have all the answers, but what is your ideal day? What do you know? Where do you want to be? Who do you want to work with? And I call that putting a pin in it, like putting your desired destination into Google Maps. But beyond one year out is often very challenging for people. I think the five-year question is obsolete. Where do you see yourself in five years? Who knows? Things are changing too quickly for that. Getting fired clearly is stressful, right? Obviously, I mean, if you're fired, then you need to go find a job immediately. But I do think you can sort of say, I'm working at this while I'm building this other thing over here. And I think it actually Some helps keep like sanity. parallel parking jobs. Exactly. Yeah, You've got to work your way in there a little bit. It might take several smaller pivots to well, get what, there. And not what, to mention processing. What my friend says when somebody, somebody introduces us, I'm a consultant, what that generally means is they're between jobs. But anyway, <laughs> our two guests today are Soledad O'Brien. She is one of my favorite of all time journalists. She was so kind to me when we were starting with the Rich Dad Company. And then Jenny Blake, who worked for Google. And we're talking about one is pivot and Soledad is talking about when it's time to move on, when you know that. But there's one problem I have with the three women on this program. 
all of you are already successful. Do you know what I mean? And the question I have, like, let's ask Jenny, you know, is everybody a high net growth individual? Or Soledad, does everybody have, I mean, you know, you came from a family of six kids, six went to Harvard. You know, I mean, you don't, you're not ordinary people. And Kim, I do not equate money with success. I do no, no, not equate going not, to Harvard that, with success. I literally, I think everybody's version of success no, no, has I, to be, are they happy? And so somebody who starts their own thing and they're doing what they love and every day they're like, yes, this is stressful. I'm working five times more than I used to, but I am loving it. To me, like that's successful. I, I, I understand And I truly that. believe it. it's not a really about kind of, you know, how much money are you making at the I, end of the day. I understand that what I'm saying saying that three women on this program are high net growth individuals. Well, now, can everybody do it? <laughs> can everybody can does any that... does ever does can anybody do be an entrepreneur? Can anybody make that or transition? It, it, if it aligns with their values and their strengths. So no, not everyone will want to be an entrepreneur. Some people really value security and stability. But the reality of the world we live in is that those are luxuries we don't really have anymore. So the message I would want to send to anyone listening is it's okay if you feel fear and insecurity. And it's easy to listen to a podcast and listen to all of us talking and think that we're different from you and that we don't experience those things. And I'll just speak for myself and say that two years into leaving Google, my business, I almost folded. And I was petrified. I wondered if I was delusional to think that I could be successful and, and do this. And I ended up, of course, reverse engineering and coming up with a pivot method. I ended up tripling my income, but not without a lot of soul searching. So and what, what, hard did work. You, what did and you do to pivot? What was it? You know, you get to, you get to that, what I call. I, yeah, I, I realized I had been so focused on what wasn't working and what I didn't like and what I didn't know and what I didn't have. And that wasn't propelling the conversation forward. And when I could lean on what was already working and what I did know and what I was already good at and build very incre- incrementally in small ways. So if someone listening, if you feel fearful and insecure, I never thought I was cut out to be an entrepreneur. I really didn't. But I took the leap anyway. And at Soledad said it that, you know, I joke in the book that we don't have FOMO, fear of missing out. We have font, fear of not trying. So ultimately, I think the, tip, the thing that tips us over the edge is not are you born with a success gene, but are you willing to try? And what I realized was that, that I was an entrepreneur. No one I, I that regretted trying. Yeah, I never thought I was an entrepreneur. I mean, I literally, I would have said, you know, I love direct deposit. <laughs> I love an IT department that comes when I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong with my computer. But what my husband really helped, I think, reflect back to me was that in terms of storytelling, I really was, right? I'd march into someone's office and say, I think this is a really good story. I think we should do it this way. I think we should do this. I want to do this. I think the show should go like this. That also makes you a bit of a pain in the ass at times, but it actually means you're very entrepreneurial. And So all the times that I was saying, oh, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur, I actually was in my business constantly. I was constantly coming up with new stories, new ideas, and new thoughts. So I would argue to someone who tells me they're not an entrepreneur that maybe right. they are. They just, they just might have a definition in their head that you know, doesn't, what they, doesn't match what they think right. they're feeling. And the other thing is, I think we're in an environment now where you're not going to stay in your job. Listen, if I hadn't left CNN almost three years ago now, I would have left it another time soon because that's how these jobs go. TV anchors, they do not stay in their jobs forever for the most part. 
And so you have to prepare for the eventuality of moving on and doing something else. That's just a sane person talking. I think so that's. A- I tell people that all the time. You are an entrepreneur because you're going to be out of this job because you've decided you don't want to do this forever. So think now about where you want to be and what makes you happy. I think that's the lesson. You know, I think it's important that everybody does have a plan B. You know, because in case Plan A doesn't work, what's Plan B going to look like? And I did, and I did get fired. I got fired twice because I really did have a hard time being told what to do. But those getting, <laughs> but that getting fired was the best thing that could have happened because it really did spark my entrepreneurial spirit. So no once doubt. again, I hate to say that we're out of time, but I want to thank Soledad O'Brien again. She was the kindest journalist. She was fantastic when I was promoting Rich Dad. Rich Dad Company was starting up from nothing. And also Jenny Blake, you know, congratulations for leaving. Well, congratulations on getting hired by Google, but also congratulations <laughs> for leaving <laughs> Google. You. And uh, I am very impressed to be surrounded by three gorgeous and smart, high-net growth more, women. More. women. <laughs> I love it. I, lo- no, I really do. Wait a minute. Why is this at the end? I love it. I love it. I love it. We'll we'll cut and paste. Exactly. There you go. So so congratulations to the two of you. Yeah, thank thank you very much. I appreciate it. Jenny, great to meet you as well. Likewise. When I was just starting the Rich Dad Company with Kim, Soledad was extremely kind to me. She was a great journalist, great interviewer, very interested. And a lot of journalists, you know, they really don't like what they do. They just go to go through the motions, and then I pull a Donald Trump and open mouth, insert foot, ankle, and everything, and get into a fight on the air. So, I mean, Kim has seen me go, and that's why I'm really happy to have Sully down on board. And then Jenny Blake, former employee of Google, and she did I the same I like what thing. Jenny said. She, she left, what, three meals a day, yoga. She bicycled. Bike packed right through her front door. I'm like, she's in New York. talk about the cushy job or yeah. a nice job. And Jenny Blake's the author of Pivot. The only move that matters is your next one. I think everybody should get that book because, you know, we're just talking about during the break. All of us at one time or another feel it's time to move on. And I think about it all the time. I say, you know, I'm not, I'm not loved. I'm not appreciated. But the worst thing about being an entrepreneur is you get up every morning and you drink the Kool-Aid, your own Kool-Aid. That's right. You know, you think, oh, my work is so important. People need me. You know, all the Rich Dad fans, I'm, I'm sitting there sucking down that Kool-Aid. <clears throat> I'm going, what is wrong with you? You're nuts. So if you're going to be an entrepreneur, it helps to be nuts. Any comments? <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for that. You know, but we talked a little bit about you know, is everybody cut out to be an entrepreneur? And I, I don't think they are. Definitely not. Because it does everybody take... Everybody could be one. They could be. Um, like our but, babysitter next door, to, who lives in the house next door to us, she's an entrepreneur. She babysits. She makes quite a bit of money. And that's an entrepreneur. Everybody can do it. You can mow lawns. You can be an entrepreneur. So it's not that big a deal. Do you want to do it is a question. Yeah. And there is a... I think there is a, a bit of a, a personality a personality piece to it, too. Because there is... You know, when you've got that job and you're making the steady paycheck and you've got your mortgage and you got your kids, it can be a little daunting to all of a sudden go, uh, maybe it's time I, I do move on. But you do know, you do know in your gut whether the question is whether you make that move or as Jenny would say, if you pivot or you don't. But you know in your soul if you're ready to move on or not. Just because you know it's time to move on doesn't mean it's time to move on. You know, I mean, I think we're all kind of whack jobs of that. But anyway, coming to the most popular part of our program, which is Ask Robert. And you can submit your questions to Ask Robert 
at richdadradio.com. And once again, thanks, Jenny Blake and Soledad O'Brien. So what's the first question, Melissa? Our first question today comes from Emily in New York. Favorite book, Rich Woman. Yay, Emily, I love Smart you. Smart woman. Yes. I tell you, it's been a tough show having Kim, <laughs> It's all and about Jenny. the women. <laughs> and it was tough. It was tough for me. I Thank I, you, I, Emily. I couldn't hold my ground here. Emily's question is this. She says, I've been working a side business for the past year. I'm making decent money on the business, but nowhere near the amount I make in my current job. I think if I could just go ahead and work my second business full time, I could grow my money. How do I know it's safe to step into it full time? Oh, I don't think you question. ever know because every day yeah. I'm, I'm asking myself that same question. You know, once being an entrepreneur, you really cannot think you're safe because, you know, I think it was, who's that guy? Andy Grove of Intel. He said it best. He says, only the paranoid survive. And so I think being an entrepreneur is always being a little bit paranoid because you don't have that safety net. There, no, there is no safety net. And, and it's a it's a tough dilemma because I, I can see what Emily's saying. She's like, if I just do this full time and focus only on this, I think I can make my business very successful. And there's a good possibility that's true. But you're just you're just not going to know. It's really going to be a gut call. And the thing that saved my butt was that my rich dad started me off in real estate. So when I was still flying for the Marine Corps, I already had real estate investments. So that was kind of my FU fund. And um, it just became FU after a while. <laughs> but I still remember when I left Xerox, my only job I ever had was at Xerox. And I said goodbye to the employees after four years. And several of the people says, oh, we've seen guys like you, you'll be back. And I said, because you'll fail. And I looked at him and I said, this is in Honolulu, Hawaii. I said, I know I'm going to fail, but I'm never coming back. And that is a vow. A vow is a promise you make to God and your spirit that I'm never coming back. So as long as you got one foot on the dock and one foot on the mm-hmm. boat, it's a tough, place tough to be. decision to be in. I think the hardest part is making the decision. She's in this point right now where she's trying to make that. That's the hardest place to be. Once the decision made, whatever the decision is, I think she's going to be good. You'll find out quickly. Yeah. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Jackson in Portland, Oregon. Favorite oh, book, Rich Portland. Dad, Poor Dad. How much money do you think is required to keep in a reserve fund when starting up a new business? I would say you never have enough. And the reason I say that, even today, when you know Rich Dad makes millions of dollars a year, but the burn rate is still millions of dollars a year. And the thing I say to people is that success is expensive. You know, failure is cheap, and well, relatively. Because if you're growing a business, it's just like Amazon. They don't pay dividends. They just keep reinvesting to grow the business. And so I, I, I like Bezos' idea that he keeps reinvesting into the company. So I would say to people, you know, as Steve Jobs once said, stay hungry, stay foolish. And as long as you're hungry and foolish, you'll keep going. Any comments, Kim? Well, I, I have to give Jackson congratulations because at least he's thinking about a reserve account. And he lives in Portland where we <laughs> love, love Portland. Portland. But most, I mean, most entrepreneurs, they're just running by the seat of their pants and they don't even think about that reserve account. I, I look at our real estate, Robert. Every property we have has a reserve account in case of an emergency. If something goes wrong, we have those funds to back it up. So the fact that he's even thinking about the reserve account is great. And I agree. There is no, again, there's no safety net. You never know what you're going to get to. But you're out there. You just keep running. Another point I'd like to bring up really quickly is that, you know, Kim and I are constantly playing Shark Tank, people asking us for money. And there's startups and all this. You know, they've generally moved from the E quadrant to the S quadrant. 
And for a while, we'll listen to them. But today, you have more options in the E quadrant to S quadrant. You have crowdfunding and you have this and stuff like that. So we generally don't fund people moving from E to S. We're looking for people ready to move from S to B. And that's a very big difference in our thought pattern. But also, Kim and I also want to know a question. What are you doing in the I quadrant? How much real estate have you got? If the entrepreneur has no real estate, we generally don't fund. And the reason for that, if they don't have real estate, they really don't understand business because, and they have no stability. So the times we have funded people on ideas, employee, you know, cash flow cost, employee, small business, big business, 500 employees more than I, I don't like to fund entrepreneurs with no real estate anymore. Just like a bank won't fund you have no real estate, I don't like to fund entrepreneurs without real estate. It's simply because they have no stability. Now, occasionally we'll make the exception, and I would say nine out of 10 times when we make the exception, it bites us in the butt. Somebody doesn't have real estate is not stable. Very rarely do you have an entrepreneur that just can make money from day one. They're very rare people. Yeah, and when and when you're talking about the, the cash flow quadrant, moving from E to S, employee to self-employed, um, one of the reasons we don't fund them is because they really don't have a business yet. They have they just kind of bought themselves a I job. Got a product. They they've got, got a, a product. they've got a they've bought themselves a job, really. So the the question is how and and Soledad said it as well. She goes, how do, it's about building something. You know, what are you building? What is what is it you want to really want to create out there? So when you get to S to B from self-employed to business owner, that's more interesting. And you shouldn't go to most people will never make it to the B quadrant. That is the toughest quadrant of all. So the I quadrant is the best, and like I said, the reason that my transitions as an entrepreneur was pretty easy was because I had real estate. I had income coming in, and today Kim and I still have income coming in. Much more income than our jobs at Rich Debt. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Quentin in Des Moines, Iowa. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Says I'm a successful person in a Fortune 500 company. However, I'm so burned out, and it's costing me in my health and relationships. I'm scared to walk away, and yet I'm also scared to stay. What advice do you have to just take the first step? Fantastic question. Fantastic question. Because when I was at Xerox, I understood how it felt felt to be a corporate sales guy. Here I am. I'm number one in sales. I go into my boss. I won't mention his name. Anyway. As you know, in sales in corporate America, we love you today, but what are you going to do for me tomorrow? It was always your budget's up. We're, we're increasing your budget and cutting your territory. And it was a sure sign of burnout. And when I saw that, it took me about two years, and I realized it was time to move on. So this I'll say to Quentin, okay? What, my salvation was this. What would you do for free? And then go do it. For example, I loved seminars. So on the weekends when I was working at Xerox, I go do seminars. If I like the seminars, I go work at them for free. I did all kinds of goofy things like, you know, some of these spiritual seminars, some business seminars, some time management seminars. And I found myself really enthralled with the seminar business versus going to back to school for a degree. And pretty soon I was working so hard because I really loved working for free in the seminar business. And one day people started asking me to teach. And that's kind of how 
I evolved to become a teacher. Any comments, Kim? My first gift to you was a seminar, right? It was a seminar. It was the accounting course. Accounting it was actually a game that we played for for two days, and I loved it. And it really – what was interesting when you're talking about traditional education versus a seminar, this seminar sparked my love of learning, right. where traditional education kind of killed my love of <clears> learning. <throat> it did. But I want to say this to Quentin. I mean, it, it, you might want to get Jenny Blake's book, Pivot. And you're exactly where Soledad was talking about. You know it's time to move on. You know it's time to make a change. You know it's time to do something different, especially if it's affecting your health and relationships. So you got to go do something. Go do something different. But my question is, people say do what you love. You know, if I did what I love, I'd be in jail. But anyway, <laughs> what, what would you do for free? And the reason it's free is because what would you want to give back to society? Because what an entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur is doing, it's not about making money. It's what problem are they solving and what gift do they want to give to society. 